Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. Um, And before we begin tonight, I want to remind you of the retreat, our annual retreat coming up the first weekend of December. And I will be speaking throughout the weekend on the subject of the rest of God. Um, If you read uh, the earliest chapters of Genesis, it becomes apparent that you and I, we were created to rest. All of the stress, the anxiety, the chaos, the turbulence, um, the, the wars, the broken relationship, all of that came in with sin and went out with Jesus. He brought us back to our original meaning and purpose in a way that uh, Adam had never known. And I want to delve into that. How do we, in this world in which we live today, how do we live in the rest of God? I mean at rest. And that's not passivity. Uh, The rest of God is wonderfully active, but it, it rides upon peace. And the scripture says the peace that goes with the rest is a peace that passes human comprehension. That is, the world will look and say, but you ought to be full of anxiety. But you're not. You you are born up by a strength, an insight, a wisdom. You're living in the rest of God. And it's going to be um, a wonderful time. And, And we, of course, at a retreat, we get to pray with you and it's an opportunity to actually enter into what we're talking about. And, of course, I always say maybe the greatest blessing of a retreat is to be in a hotel room, um, or ballroom, rather, uh, with a, a bunch of people that are all on the same page, that they've, they've seen uh, this grace of God, they, they've tasted his love and they are there with hunger and delight, along with some that have been in this way with us for the last uh, 20, 30 years. And, and so it's a marvelous time. And if you go to our website, now last week I gave you a website, but it could have, there's a better one. Okay, this is it. It, the website is unconditionallovefellowship.com. Okay? Unconditionallovefellowship.com. And when you get to that page, click on the picture and you'll be there. Okay? And, um, well, that's it. And, and so I, I honestly, I, delighted to see you face to face instead of trying to see you through this camera 
So now let's turn to Psalm 27. Uh, this is one of my, uh, what shall I say, verses to which I return many times. I have many testimonies concerning this verse, and I'm sure we've been here together more than once. But there are times it comes um, like the incoming tide. I, I suddenly see what I've never seen before and felt a necessity to speak it. So, Psalm 27, and I wish we could read up the whole psalm. Let's do just a couple of verses before we get to the one I'm going to talk about. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And so, obviously, he, he's saying this, this cry of victory is over against a situation where he would describe the possibility of fear. He's speaking of weakness and being afraid. He speaks of the wicked coming against him and coming against him to devour him. Strong language to eat up my flesh. Um, he speaks of enemies and foes. He even speaks of an army that is encamped against him. And he speaks of war rising against him. Okay? That's the background of this psalm. But then I go through all the psalm, and actually it's a psalm in which um, he speaks yet further as he goes through of um, all, all the, the despair and the sorrow that was seeking to take over his life. Um, in verse 10, he actually says, When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord would take care of me. So he's not only facing terrible enemies of whatever character, and they're surrounding him, and he can smell their foul breath in his face, and they're seeking to devour him, but also at this critical time in his life, his father and mother have forsaken him. And of course, we know from the background to these Psalms that the major enemy was his father-in-law, Saul the king. And so on the one hand, his father-in-law is seeking to kill him and is probably the, the person behind all of these things we've just read. And, and his mother and father have, have said we can't handle anymore and have forsaken him. Do, do, do you get the picture? This man is abandoned from all sides. And then at the end, because the question is, if he's going through all of this, if, if, if all this darkness is upon him and all the threats to his life, 
And, and if the enemy, uh, in terms of person as well as spirit powers, are surrounding him and, and pressing in on him, this is a terrible picture. Um, yet the psalm actually begins, we have to milk that out because it begins actually with a triumphant walk right the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the strength of my life of whom shall i be afraid and so you're hearing about all of these enemies but here is a man that is strong and confident in the midst of it and i say how did he do that how did he walk through what indeed would be the valley of the shadow of death in terms of the happenings in his life and the way that persons, those so close to him as father-in-law and father and mother, uh, everything. I mean, you cannot get a more desperate, abandoned, rejected moment in life. And yet he walks through with a cry and a shout, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How did he? How does he do that? I, I find this is very appropriate in these days in which we live, because they are chaotic days. They are days with speaking after the natural. They are days that have promise of disaster written into every one of them. We live in days of corruption and lies such as we probably have never seen in our lifetime before. And, and not only so, but all taken for granted and is perfectly normal. And, and when you search the countries of the world, you find collapse on every hand. Um, we live in pretty bad times. And you don't need to be a prophet of God to say that there's something very dark and nasty on the horizon. I, I need to know how David could walk through this and yet be able to write these words with this surging triumph. How does he do that? And he tells us, he opens his heart in verse 13 and it, it comes in at the end as if he, he's thinking supposing I hadn't gone the way that I did what would have happened and, and so he throws in verse 13 I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That verse is a verse that is alive with not only hope, but with the power of God that actually communicates that hope into us. He said, I would have despaired. I would have lost heart. It would have been all over. Unless, unless, upon that word, upon the word unless, hangs this whole psalm that he came through that experience and comes through radiant with a, an unearthly peace, an unearthly joy, and an unearthly hope. I think every one of us needs to know this 
I won't call it a secret because it's as open as the page on which it is written, but to discover for oneself this key to such a life. He said, I would have despaired. I, I, I would have lost heart. There would have been no other, there's no possibility of my going through what I've gone through and not losing heart and just giving up and, and just falling in the gutter and letting it all just drown me. I, that would be the natural. I mean, there's, there's a limit. There, there's, the human can only take so much. But he said, I would have. That would have been. It would have been what would happen unless... I mean, write that across the whole story. Unless something changed that story. And it was that I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's his report at the end of the psalm. And one can ask what would have happened would we ever have heard of David I'm serious would we ever have heard of David if he had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living he would have just been some chap who had the most un unbelievable series of pressures and darkness and just went underneath and that was it and we never would have heard of him again. He would have been lost in the whirling waters of history. But he did believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that action of believing to see the goodness of the Lord canceled the power of toxic darkness. And not only for him, but for us who live under a better covenant. Okay. Now it says that the key to this whole thing was the goodness of the Lord. Faced with everything he was facing, he believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Goodness of the Lord, it is... Well, it's one of those words that you wonder if you can ever really get to the bottom of. You see, it's... It's part of, when we say God is love, it's, it's connected there. Uh, maybe goodness is the great umbrella under which we see all of the facets of the love of God. When Moses, back in Exodus 33, was crying to God he said I, I want to see who you truly are and the way he put it is I want to see your glory uh, I, I want to see from your own person who are you show me your beauty show me the radiance of your person show, show me and you remember the Lord said that he would cause his goodness to pass before Moses. Did you hear that? Moses is saying, show me your glory. Show me who you truly are in your essence, your person. And the response of God was, I'll show you 
my goodness, my goodness. So the goodness of God is the very being of God. And we know that the love is the essence and being of God. And so love and goodness are intertwined and, and they are but different facets of the same wonder, beauty. And I've used the term beauty twice now in the last couple of minutes. And actually the first definition of the word goodness is beauty. When the Bible uses the term good, it often is referring to what we would say beauty. Good. Have you ever thought God is beautiful? There is a harmony in the being of God that leaves us speechless with joy and with wonder. We recognize in God that is beyond our ability to imagine and bring to pass. All we can do is see that He is who He is and is the fullness of beauty. There's nothing ugly about God. Beauty. There's, there's nothing harsh in the word beauty. Beauty is gentleness. Beauty is kindness. It's, it's the harmless as a dove, as Jesus would say. Um, beauty. I, I say no harshness, no austereness. The softness, the tenderness, even when he rebukes, there is a beauty. He is good. The word means excellent. It means attractive. It means desirable. And I, that, that is why Satan attacked the very being of God, his very being, and, and turned him into the ugly monster that most people see as, as God being. Um, but God in his self-revelation... God in his telling us who he really is and that final revelation in Jesus you recognize there is a beauty there's an attractiveness there's, there's a magnetic draw there's a desirable he's good you, you see that like like the colors of the rainbow so as we look at his goodness and see his love and his beauty the attractiveness of God that answers so perfectly to every cry of the human he's good good we use that term to describe generous he is generous not as a one part of his being, but he is, meaning that he cannot be any other. In all that he is, he is open-handed, open-hearted, generous, good, good. It's it's fullness. It's used again in the scripture to describe an abundance. Say. Fullness. It's, it's when your sack is full and they keep pouring and it's over the side. So you see, it's, it's generous. 
but in the same its fullness when Jesus said I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly as I've told you before I think some of you uh, when I was in Africa and, and the pigeon language they, they speak in English it's called pigeon which is um, well it's it's English up to a point but but it, it's the way they put the words together and and they described this in their pidgin language after I had preached they came and they said we love you plenty too much that that's the biblical meaning of good it, it's it's plenty too much it's over the top it, it's coffee in the saucer good it means when everything fits into place it means wholeness and harmony good huh. what, what could I say um, it, it's a harmony of tenderness it's, it's a harmony of compassion it's a harmony of kindness that's, that's all you'll ever have from God you see what I mean I can see some of you already backing off and saying that's not the kind of God I was raised with no you were raised with the satanic distortion the real God is incredibly beautiful and attractive and is always kind and is always compassion and is always tender and is always reaching to make whole and, and bring all things together to fit together and so in the goodness of God you see there's no death in the goodness of God there's no corruption there's no disease there's no entropy goodness is life and abundance and <clears throat> goodness he is good and therefore he's the God who cares for us the God who upholds us and and goodness moves into all of our life you don't have him as an abstract sort of thing in the atmosphere um, no goodness is seen on our kitchen table God comes into our pantry he comes into our clothes closet he, he's in our wallets and into our bank accounts and he's into our work and into our school and there he reveals his goodness goodness is an active word not just a philosophical idea where, where it's not just a, a remote niceness hanging off in space somewhere God's good in that he moves into our lives and shows us that he is good he reveals himself as being good and good toward us never in the abstract I, I have said God is good more than once and you'd be surprised well maybe you wouldn't but you'd be surprised maybe uh, at the number of times where it simply says that and, and for your meditation you go to Psalm 25 8 it says good is the Lord and Psalm 75 1 says surely surely God is good and when the Bible says surely it means you can take this to the bank surely God is good Psalm 106 1 give thanks 
for he is good. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. It's the way he is, you see, is. Learn to snuggle down into that word is. God is love. Well, God is good. It's the way he is. It means he can be no other way. There's no dark side to God. It's not like the moon. There's a dark side to the moon. Uh, and, and people think of God as sort of dark side. You never know. He just might lose it one day. And No, there is... He came in Jesus and showed us that he is utterly and finally and limitlessly and altogether good. He is, 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 is good. Doesn't have good. Doesn't have a good mood. No, he's not fickle. He is. Period. Is good. He he doesn't, he's not good because you're good, see? Because a lot of people believe that. That, that if, if, if I'm a bad sort, well, then God's not good. He's only good to people who start the ball rolling by being good. God's goodness is not a response to your goodness. It, it isn't that your, your being who you be uh, makes God be who he be. No, he's first. He's good. And he's good even when we're bad. Did you understand? God's goodness is not a response to our goodness, but God is good because God is God and God is good. Okay. So his goodness is unilateral, reaches out to everybody, spontaneous. Matthew 6 puts it uh, very strongly. He says he makes... Uh, God is good and and he he pours his rain upon the just and the unjust and and you see at this point I I can see religious people getting fidgety because that doesn't fit their formula God's not supposed to be good to nasty people we got the idea you know that that he looks after churchgoers no God is good and he pours out his goodness upon the just and the unjust. And of course, the ultimate revelation of this is Jesus. Of course, it has to be, for it says that Jesus is the exegete. He's the explainer uh, of God. And so it says in Titus that the kindness, and that word in the Greek, it's, it's sort of on the edge of goodness. Goodness, kindness, it's almost the same word. And so it says that the goodness of God has appeared. God's goodness, God's tangible goodness has come to us in the flesh so we could see. And definition, I say yet again, is not a remote niceness somewhere, but became flesh, dwelt among us. Goodness made footprints in the sand of our earth. And when they summed up the life of Jesus, Peter did in Acts chapter 10. Peter summed up the whole life of Jesus. He said, he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So he places all the works of Satan over against goodness. There, there is goodness 
And then there's the work of Satan. And Jesus went about doing good, healing, making whole, breaking the power and authority of the darkness and and the division and the fracture, brokenness that Satan always brings. He's good. And notice, healed all all the sick. So, So God's goodness is not some spiritual thing. Let me say it again, God's goodness is to be found in your clothes closet when you wonder what the kids are going to wear this winter. Um, God's goodness is found in the kitchen when you wonder what we're going to eat. God's goodness is under you, around you, upholding you, ahead of you, behind you. God's goodness is active and active in our physical, material world and active in our bodies. He's God's goodness. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So God's goodness is holistic, covers every detail of life. There's no part of life, no set of minutes or hours where you've dropped out of the radar of goodness. God's goodness cannot leave you. God's goodness can never abandon you. God's goodness is never lost. God's goodness accompanies you. So David's senses reported all that was happening. His father-in-law Saul trying to kill him. Enemies piled up against him. Enemies that had total death on their agenda, they came to devour him. An army, not just one or two, but an army of these enemies had surrounded him, and in the middle of it, the ultimate rejection that his father and mother forsook him. His senses received all of that he was not in denial he knew that is what was happening don't think faith is denial faith is not denial faith is the only way that we dare look at reality of what is happening but he, he had more than his senses his senses could report and their report was hopeless Their report was death, but, you see, that that changes everything. You're you're on a course and and you're saying there is no hope. I'm, I'm being swept along by a current of darkness and hopelessness and then shouted to high heaven, but... Unless, that is, yes, this is what's going to happen. Unless there's another factor to be brought into this situation. Unless, hear me, hear me, where you are. You're, You're a mother... Your fatherless children. You're trying to raise them. You're terrified of losing them. 
because money is running out. You're working two jobs to try and keep everything together. And you sit on the edge of your bed and all you can do is cry because everything looks as black as night. I am introducing unless. I'm introducing the but. You are not under the fatalistic thrust of what your senses see. There is unless. The goodness of God comes into the situation and changes the whole picture. But he believed to see the goodness. Believed to see. Now, I'm not... I'll say this, and I, I am going to say it again, but I, I want to say right up front that, that when I say believe to see, that is not struggling and trying to believe. That's not belief. Believe, just in its simplest, before we get into it, believe, just open. I mean, without trying to believe, just open to the possible. That is, there's a goodness here that is greater than all that would destroy me. There is goodness here that is with me, on my side. And it's a matter of opening to that. Because I know when you're sitting in the situation you're sitting in, it's no time to twist your mind into pretzels trying to believe. Just, I mean, there's a sense of abandon. It's a, a sense of throwing yourselves into the arms of God's goodness. You don't have to know how. You just, I, I give up and give into the arms of God. I, you see, this word, believe... In the language of the Old Testament, the language was Hebrew, the word believe, you might be interested to know, is amen. When we say amen or amen at the end of our prayer, actually that's a Hebrew word. And it's a very strong word. It means to support, like like the, the foundations of a house. Um, it means that which is firm unshakable, certain, sure, established, all, all those words, amen, and, and is used to describe the strong arms of a parent holding a baby. Amen, you see, the very word actually means, I, I just commit, I'm, I'm like a baby, let go of me and I fall flat on my face to danger. But the strong arms of God hold me. And so when I say amen, I'm, I'm relaxing into God's arms of strength. I'm not trying to do anything. I am just handing myself into the arms of God who has sworn upon his own being that he is there to hold me. It's not so much the baby holding the parent, it's the parent holding the baby, you see. And out of that image, did you get it? 
you're, you're the, he's holding, the goodness of God is holding you, so stop struggling to be held and just let go. It is so. It is so. Now that's the essence of our men. Do you get it? The babe is not holding on for dear life. The, the father is holding firm, strong, and he's not going to let go. The arms of God's goodness, because of his love towards you, he holds you. So let go and you won't fall. You will be in the arms of goodness. And out of that image, which is part of the Old Testament scripture, the word amen comes to mean faithful. God's faithfulness came to mean trustworthy. You can trust him. Came to mean dependable. He cannot be any other way. He's always constant, continuous. So here I be. Doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter anything about trying. In fact, all of that can negate this. It's just a matter. I'm a babe in his arms. Hold me tight. Hold me tight. There's, when I say believe, it, its first idea is I'm resting in God's certainty. He's not asking me for a certain level of certainty when I believe, rather for me to rest, to trust in His certainty. So the believing means I'm as secure in God as God own faith, God's certainty. Huh. Well, believe. The English word is interesting um, because it, it, it goes back to well, back to very early centuries in England. And um, it, it's two words from the language that used to be spoken in England. It was called Anglo-Saxon. And, and um, the, the two words, be, leaf, or leave. And, and be, well, that's still today, me, I mean, we be. Uh, be means to be alive. I live. And the word leave, that's an interesting word. Um, I suppose it, its its deepest meaning would be treasure. Um, it was used in ancient ancient days. You, you would speak to your beloved. Probably today it would be my darling, my beautiful, whatever. Um, it's what a husband spoke to his wife, a wife to a husband. Uh, they would say, "My leaf, my leaf." And it meant my my dear one, that that which I treasure, that which I know I'm committed to, and it holds me. It's my treasure, belief, and and so belief means I live in accord with that treasure. See what you believe is your treasure. I, I have given you a treasure tonight. I've given it to you. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit I have given you a treasure and that treasure is that God is good to you and he can only be good to you and he is at this moment as I speak his goodness is now acting in your life underneath beyond above all the circumstances as treasure Believe, you see, believe his goodness. Live in accord with that. And I've already said that begins by just I abandon to not trying to believe it, just abandon it is so. And and I I free fall into that. But but now let that goodness come into your mind, your thought process, your imagination. Let, let it take hold of your emotions, you see. Let it get into your words. Begin to speak and speak out loud of the goodness of God that is at work, even though at this micro moment you maybe not see it. Order your life according to goodness and do so deliberately from your place where you've just fallen into the arms of goodness. See, unbelief is simply ordering your life according to the satanic lies. And those satanic lies always say that you're going to die, you're going to lose everything, there's no way through, and so on and so on. They're all, they, they smell of Satan. So it's a matter of yielding to, surrendering to, opening my total being to the goodness of God. At the same time as Psalm 27 that we're looking at now, David wrote another psalm which you probably know as well as, if not much better than Psalm 27, that's Psalm 23. And at the end of Psalm 23, he said those were surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. And um, well, we've already talked about that in months past. Um, but let, let me remind you the word surely. It, it means only. It, it's emphatic. It's a sort of word where you stamp your foot and say surely or only. It's emphatic and restrictive. That is, it means I restrict all other possibilities. Only goodness. Only goodness. Only goodness. And loving kindness. And in our versions of the Bible, it translates as follow me all the days of my life. But the actual word there, and if we had another half an hour, I could show it to you. Just believe me. That the that that ver word occurs other places in the Old Testament, but in every other case, it's translated as relentlessly pursue, and it's usually used of enemies that are breathing down your neck and they're pursuing you, and David uses that phrase and says, "Surely, only." goodness and loving kindness shall relentlessly pursue me. Ha, 
not an enemy to overtake me. His goodness is in front of all the enemies that were pursuing him. His goodness is stronger than all the enemies. Huh. Because to talk like that, you sound insane. You're, 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 see, you love pity parties. Tell everybody all the troubles as your senses see them and all the terrible forecasts of disaster. Come on, let's have a party. See who can be the first to die. See who's having the worst time of it. You know how it goes. No, you see, if if I believe in the sense I've tried to share with you, if I, if I believe the goodness of God, I can't enter into that nonsense. That, that That's all damnable death. Standing there, sharing with everybody all the disasters of life, and how you're hopeless, and... No, quit it, quit it. Let your tongue see the goodness of God. And let nothing else come over your tongue, even though to begin with, maybe you won't say anything, because you I don't know how to say it, but oh, that's okay. Don't go to those parties of death. Everyone talking about the end and disaster. David is committed, committed to seeing the goodness that is, he refuses all the other images, pictures, possibilities that he has been so used to thinking. But now, he, there's another, this is the unless. That, that was the path he was on. Now there's unless. Okay, let's, I commit myself to this unbelievable all glorious unless the goodness of God in the middle of this yes then here I am I commit I, f I say it again I free fall into the goodness of God which means then I, I, I ignore it's not a matter of refusing because you can get into royal battles over that. No, just, I ignore all, all those old thoughts come and all the darkness, and I ignore it. I'm aware it's there, but um, they're not worth talking to. They're not worth debating. I have seen the goodness of God, and it might at this moment only be a sliver of light in the but I've seen the light. I've seen the goodness that streams from the love of God to me. So I'll yield to that sliver of light and ignore the rest. You see, the room where we're sitting, where I am, where you are, is actually filled with noise. You know that. Radio waves of all the stations, radio stations, they're all filling the atmosphere. TV stations, full blast, are going through the room. You don't hear a sound. What you need is to tap into them. And you are now surrounded by the goodness of God. And maybe no one's ever told you before just to surrender to that. Well, go ahead and discover the same way as if you turn on a radio and discover the sounds that are filling the room. Right. Surrender. 
Surrender. Open yourself to the Holy Trinity, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, who is at this moment always active, good in your life. He said to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. To see it, that is, you you see it in circumstances, you see it in events and persons and your own thoughts and life and family and you see it, you see, you see the goodness of God. And he said, in the land of the living, that is, in this tick-tock, tick-tock, this time, this time, I mean, while, while I'm alive, it's, it's in my space, wherever I happen to be living, it's in my history. You know what I'm trying to say? People, I don't know, church people, they, they, they love to just dump everything after death. You know, one day we'll see the goodness of God. Oh, shut up. The goodness of God in the land of the living, in this present pulsating life that I live, His goodness shall be seen. His goodness shall be seen. I'm going to taste His goodness. I'm going to feel the tangible goodness of God in my everyday physical material as well as my core spirit emotional mental being I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living and I I might throw this out just to emphasize it this word living it's it's not an abstract. You see, life, when, when we read the word life, life is not an idea. Life is something lived, right? You, you can't think of life without thinking of actually living it. And so the land of the living is, and I say the word again, holistic. The word means every part of my life from my core being which we often call my heart my spirit into my mind my imagination my emotions the physical cells of my body and then what I do with my body my work my relationships life everything that makes up life is life Everything in a day as it unfolds. The things I've experienced, it, it's, it's my life. So that includes my mental, emotional health. It includes my physical health. It includes the circumstances of my life. It includes prosperity in all those dimensions. It includes success in all those dimensions. It's life. Life. Actually, the word life, if you're familiar with the whole of the Old Testament, the word life is used to describe fresh running water. It speaks of living water. Have you ever heard that expression? It means it's 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 not stale. It, it's it's not got mosquitoes breeding in it. That's what it, it, it's fresh water. It's running water. That's life. God, life. 
life that is in fellowship, life that is united with the goodness of God, is like dancing, bubbling water at a brook that's fresh and clean and pure and life-giving. And of course, Jesus claimed to be this kind of life. He said, I am the life, for he is the goodness of God, and it's union with him that is the ultimate connection to goodness. So David is sitting there in the middle of all this and chooses in that sense of surrendering to to see the goodness of God in this land of the living, in everything that's happening right now, and in this that's happening, my life, I, I, I believe to see the goodness of God now in, in this dark situation. Uh, and not in the remote future. The, the whole idea of the sentence is that now he's imprinting his goodness into my present life. I am living in the according to this treasure of seeing and knowing the goodness of God. And also, and I'll just throw this in, I think it it can be without a lot of discussion. You remember Joseph, and he went through, I mean, again, his own family, had him kidnapped and um, thrown to the wolves. They, they wanted him dead. And he ends up a slave, sold on the block. And then, uh, although rose to the top of the slave heap, but he's rejected and rejected, ends up in an Egyptian jail and they throw away the key. And all of that led to his becoming essentially the co-ruler of the world saving the world from disaster and he he was the prime minister under the pharaoh and it's a story the latter part of genesis And, and in the middle of his saving the world through divine wisdom given to him his brothers come, the ones that had sold him, kidnapped him and sold him as a slave, and they don't have a clue that this magnificent Egyptian ruler is none other than the brother they sold to a bunch of slave traders. And Joseph calls them into private and there reveals who he is. And the brothers are terrified. I mean, their their brother has now become the potentate of the world. And and now he's got them, you know, like a cat with a mouse. We, We sold him. We rejected him. We stamped on him. We, we arranged his death. And he's ended up as world ruler. What's he going to do with us now? I mean, the best we can hope for is life in prison, but I'm afraid it could be worse than that. And Joseph looked at his brothers and he read their minds and he said, you know, 
what you did to me. You meant it for evil. Strong words. No mincing words. He didn't say it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> no. He says you sat down and you purposed it. You planned it. You worked out. You wove together the plan to get rid of me. You meant it for evil. You are guilty. You meant it for evil. But, said Joseph, look around. God meant it for good. In the middle of the worst you characters could do to me, in your most secret, foul, corrupt meetings together where you slobbered over what you would do to me, you seem to have missed the fact that God himself was at the meeting. And for all of your mint that you put together for my evil, God took that and meant it for the good of the entire world. It's a great verse. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And right now, and I'm, I, I know I'm speaking to persons that this specifically applies to. And while I was speaking, I could almost see that young mother that I spoke about a moment ago. And whatever situation any of you find yourself in, the persons, the situation, the demonic powers, that means it, meant it for evil and your destruction. God's goodness is so incredible... He takes the very things that Satan would determine and twists them into the goodest plan that you could, you could not imagine. It's happening for you right now. I know it. You see, I did not come to say any of this tonight. I had another message for today. Um, and it came as strong as the Holy Spirit sitting beside me in the car and telling me this is what I had to tell you. And so I have come with God's message for you tonight that you shall see the goodness of the Lord in your land of the living. So free fall into that truth let that be your most treasured possession and bring your life into accord with it. And you shall see that what has been meant for evil shall and is at this moment being turned to good. And so with these words I have spoken tonight, I bless you. I bless you in the name and authority of God who is almighty love and goodness, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you to whom he is speaking, the scales shall fall from off your eyes and you shall see clearly his goodness towards you, and that this night shall be the beginning of nights for you. And from this day forth a new life where you see his goodness 
shall open up before you. So I now bless you and declare that is the way it is.